Oi, tudo bem? This is Brazuca Sounds, hosted and produced by Leandro Vignoli. Welcome to Brazuca Sounds. Don't forget to rate our show if you're listening to on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also very important. If you want to follow us on Instagram, it's also there available, Brazuca Sounds. And also on Spotify only, there is a playlist with all the songs I ever play in the history here of the podcast. Brazuca Sounds Soundtrack Podcast. Really easy to find. Today we're going to talk about three of the most fundamental Brazilian rock and roll albums. And all these three records were released exactly 50 years ago in 1973. Secos e Molhados, the debut album of Raul Seixas and the follow-up of Novos Baianos. Obviously, rock and roll, in this more abstract sense of the word, they had a lot of Brazilian influences, each of these bands in a different way, blending of rock and roll and many other music genres. And we're gonna start this show talking about probably the biggest music phenomenon ever in the history of Brazilian music, the debut album of Secos e Molhados. This bass line here is one of the most iconic opening of an album in Brazilian music history. And this is not an exaggeration. Track here is Sangue Latino, simply the most played song in Brazil in the year of 1973. Good part of Secos e Molhados' phenomena was their charismatic lead singer, Ney Mato Grosso. It's a male singing in here, although many people at the time was not really sure. My partner, who's not Brazilian, first time she listened to this song, asked me if this was the Brazilian Johnny Mitchell. <laughs> like I said, many, many people confused uh, Ney Mato Grosso to a female voice. Uh, not only his voice, obviously, Ney was also super androgynous too, almost to a point of a controversy in a country with a very strong military regime. That was the heyday of military regime in Brazil in 1973. Second song on the album was also an incredible big hit the third most played in Brazil in that same year is called Ovira. Uh, 
so this song here is obviously a blending of music genres, a little bit of a rockabilly, this Portuguese dance genre called Ovira. The main brain behind Secos e Molhados, the main composer, João Ricardo, he was Portuguese. He moved to Brazil when he was around 14, 15 years old to Sao Paulo. That's where the band uh, was created, not in Rio, but in Sao Paulo. Uh, so the music, it is rock and roll, but also very pop. So in this particular case here, he's probably paying tribute to his roots. Ovira is a very famous folkloric dance in Portugal. Everybody in a circle, holding hands, with the long dresses, that kind of thing, right? But obviously there is a twitch here, some kind of a play of words with a sexual innuendo as well. Vida in Portuguese means turn and he keep repeating. Vira, vira, homem, vira, vira, lobisomem. That means turn and turn into a wolfman, turn, turn into a man. Obviously, some kind of questioning on the sexuality of the band members, their androgynous aspect, especially, as I said before, the lead singer, Neymato Grosso. Most of the time, Secos e Molhados, they had super profound lyrics based mostly on poetry. Vivo agitado. All the songs are also very, very short, almost all of them, two minutes and change. So a good mix of taking themselves very seriously or not being serious at all. So they had this good combination of songs that sounded more pop with songs that sounded more psychedelic, so to speak. So musically, they were kind of successors of Os Mutantes uh, in popularity as well, with its light psychedelia, right? If Os Mutantes was more like Pink Floyd, Sid Barrett era, Secos e Molhados were more like a Steely Dan version of psychedelia. And like I said before, Secos e Molhados was the very first like 
Beatlemaniac of sorts in Brazil. Uh, many different audiences of many different ages catapulted the band to the top charts. They recorded this album in May 1973, only 15 days in Sao Paulo as well. The record was released in August 1973, and it was simply something like never happened before. Uh, only in the first two months of this record, they sold 300,000 copies. And then so much so that they kept selling albums in 1974 as well. And Secos e Molhados was the very first band to take out Roberto Carlos from the top of the charts. The end of that year, 1974, since of the Brazilian version of Billboard was introduced in 1965, every single year was Roberto Carlos, but not in that year. Secos e Molhados finished the 1970s with 700,000 copies. And upon the reissue of this record on CD, they easily surpassed a million copies sold already in the 1990s. Absolutely everybody in Brazil had a copy of this debut album of Secos e Molhados, me and my family there included. Another super cool bass line here, very simple but very catchy. This is provided by Willy Verdanger, that officially was not part of the band, just a hired musician. He was Argentine that previously played for this band called the Beat Boys, which was the backup band of Caetano Veloso. Uh, in his legendary performance of Alegria, Alegria, kind of the starting point of Tropicalia. So it was also the case of the drummer here, Marcelo Frias, also Argentine. So bass player and drummer, they were not part of Secos e Molhados, although Marcelo Frias was invited to be, he even made into the album cover, but backed out right after the photo sections, so the drummer kind of totally, totally decided not to be part of history in Brazilian music. And when we talk about this record, we obviously need to talk about the album cover, one of the most iconic album covers in Brazil as well. The four members, only when their heads outside a table, right? If they were being served on a plate. That was the idea of a photojournalist, Antonio Carlos Rodrigues. He was a good friend of the band leader's father, and he used to work in a newspaper, and hence he had this idea. Because secos e molhados, word by word, literally means dry and wet. 
But at the time, in the 1950s, 60s, beginning of the 1970s, Secos e Molhados also meant a grocery store. Even today, we can find some grocery stores that are still called Secos e Molhados in Brazil, in the very countryside. And the photo session, uh, it was an entire overnight section, right? Between like 11 p.m. all the way to the early morning of the next day, according to the many interviews of the band members was like a torture section more or less they all had to be almost like underneath this table with no clothing it was in July so that's very cold in Sao Paulo right that's the winter time in Brazil so that's how it came to be that iconic album cover of the album as I mentioned before is the four members of the band there and the drummer Marcelo who I explained before, backed out right after. So all the band members of Secos e Molhados, if you never saw this cover, they are wearing masks, right? Painted pretty much like Kiss became famous to be, and in the Brazilian realm of music folklore, a lot of people say Kiss actually was copying, right? Secos e Molhados. One of the guys who participated in this record was guitar player Zé Rodrigues. He gave many interviews confirming that once, in the year 1973, one of his friends received at his home two Americans called Gene and Paul and talked about this Brazilian rock and roll band doing that kind of theatrical thing with the masks and whatnot. And hence, later on, Atis finally put out their first album. So that's probably not exactly what happened. There's a lot of folklore, as I said, but one thing it is for sure, Secos e Molhados were there doing that kind of thing, even releasing this album before Kiss. So Secos e Molhados were not actively political in their lyrics, but heavily in their performances itself. And obviously also all these theatrical performances on stage, right, with all this painting and sexual innuendo, it was very much against what the dictatorship in Brazil thought about a good society. This is one of my favorite songs on the record, more psychedelic, right? And this is actually a more political song, because they are singing here about a guy just walking on the streets after midnight, uh, when finally he encounters this man wearing suit and tie, and they call this man the Officer Dibble from the cartoon Top Cat. But obviously, he referring to some kind of those soldiers always walking around trying to find disobedience in the Brazilian late hours, right? Obviously, in the Portuguese, this character was called Guarda Belo. Quando aparece o Guarda Belo Quando aparece o Guarda Belo 
So they had great lyrics. It was a great band. Out of this planet performers. All that counts, but not only, right? So there are three main other reasons for this incredible success of Secos e Molhados at the time. First of all, uh, they literally appear on the opening of this TV show called Fantastico from Globo TV in their very first episode. There was the show equivalence of Saturday Night Live in Brazil, although it was on a Sunday night. Another thing was the Brazilian government at the time created this program called Disco é Cultura, translating record is culture. So it was giving a lot of tax breaks to the Brazilian record labels at the time to be able to compete with the multinationals like Philips, EMI Odeon. This record here was released through the Continental Record Label, very, very independent Brazilian record label. So in 1973 in Brazil was the time that later on historians will label as the quote-unquote economic miracle in Brazil, right? The regime nationalized many companies and they invested heavily in infrastructure, automobile plants, a lot of highways connecting states, a lot of jobs by consequence. So people with money to spend even in stuff like records. And that's why even today there are people like our former stupid president that see the military regime as a good thing, right? Not acknowledging that all this was only possible by creating insustainable amount of debt for the future of really something the Brazil were not able to pay for decades and decades and decades afterwards the military regime was over. Uh, and obviously there was heavy corruption as well. Well, obviously everything's so bad, not counting censorship, torture, etc. But anyway, industry was in fact booming, but other sectors were neglected. For instance, there was not enough raw material to produce vinyls, especially with the oil global crisis of 1973. So Continental, or Continental, the record label, uh, they started to melt every single album that never sold from their own company to press them into a Secos e Molhados debut record. That's more or less also kind of explained their success. Good songs, good lyrics, but a lot of political context at the time. Eu não sei So, like I briefly said before, almost 80% of the songs here were based on poems, right? Sometimes from very famous Brazilian poets, sometimes from the lead songwriter, João Ricardo. This album here, it finishes with one of the most beautiful songs of Brazil in the 1970s. So, this song here is called Fala, written by João Ricardo. the mid-80s, these albums were still very, very popular, still selling like crazy. I remember 
listening uh, to Secos e Molhados at home when I was six, seven years old. They released a second album in 1974 and they kind of split. They kept releasing records, but all the main members kind of left. Even up today, 50 years later, there's a lot of disagreements and fights between João Ricardo and the other guys. Uh, there was like a very famous documentary to be distributed this year in Brazil. It was canceled last minute because João Ricardo simply did not authorize the use of the songs on the documentary. A lot of lawsuits. It seems like finally a judge decided in favor of the other members of the band so next year we're probably gonna have like a very important documentary of Secos e Molhados. That being said we're gonna transition to our second record of today also a Brazilian rock and roll phenomenon of the 1970s Probably not a rock and roll album that blended so many genres like Raul Seixas' debut, Krieg Hat Bandolo. Here doesn't even look rock. This big Afro-Brazilian percussion directly uh, from the Candomblé religion. But... Make no mistake, this is a rock album, but with many elements of folk, country rock, soul, funk, Bob Dylan ripoffs, Elvis-influenced rock as well. And there are so much mythology regarding the recording section of the album. Uh, one of them is like these backing vocals that you are hearing on the background, all portrayed by women. How Sasha just grabbed some people from the streets of Rio de Janeiro and invited them to sing on the record, just doing the backing vocals of the song Mosca na Sopa, Fly in the Soup. Uh, so this record is also fundamentally immersed in criticism to the government with so many layers of satire. Like I said, this song here is an allegory of how Seixas being this fly buzzing and buzzing against the regime. And as he sings, it doesn't matter if you spray me with incenticide because you kill it one and comes another to replace me. This song was the most successful in that year uh, of 1973 in the top 40 uh, of the charts at the end of the year. Uh, but talking about this uh, criticism to the regime, another obvious metaphor it is other song here, Dentadura Postiça. A estrela do céu. 
A noite no mar, o nível do gás, a cinza no chão, juízo final, os dentes de Jó, o preço do caos. This has more like a country rock type of vibe, and Raul Seixas uh, keeps singing in here. Vai cair, vai cair, that means it's gonna fall, it's gonna fall, and he's clearly talking about the military regime, which unfortunately it didn't. Uh, it remained that way for an extra decade in Brazil, but Raul Seixas really vocalized his discontent. This is all metaphors, by the way, he's not clearly singing that the dictatorship is gonna fall, but instead he's listing all these other things that's gonna fall, including this dental prothesis, right? Dentadura postiça, that's the name of the song, and dentadura kind of rhymes with the dictatorship word in Portuguese, ditadura. So he was also like making a play of words. And this is one of the five songs on this album written in partnership with Paulo Coelho before the mega-selling author famous for The Alchemist and so many other books. The album's name, Krighab Bandolo, that was the Tarzan scream, right, from the cartoon, and it means something like watch out with the enemy. Also, an obvious reference to the regime. Traga sua bola de cristal e aquele senso do Nepal que você comprou no camelô. In the album cover, Raul Seixas is bare-chested and in one of his hands there is a tattoo with a symbol for the alternative society, the Sociedade Alternativa. They were very, very attracted to astrology, the occult, uh, Aleister Crowley, that kind of thing, right? But the military people really, really thought this was kind of a commie terrorist organization. So after the release of this record, both Raul Seixas and Paulo Coelho, they were threw in jail, tortured for a couple of weeks, and then finally they went to the United States in 1974. This alternative society, or Sociedade Alternativa, even became a song in Raul Seixas' second album a year later, and that was the song that even Bruce Springsteen performed in his last tour in Brazil. <laughs> So this is another very popular song on the album, more straightforward rock and roll vibe. Another song also written in partnership with Paulo Coelho. This particular song here, it is about giving advice to many different historical figures like Al Capone, that's the name of the song, but also Julius Caesar, Jimi Hendrix. Hey, Jimi Hendrix It is if they could go back in time and tell all this guy to do something different. They were pretty much all dead in very terrible circumstances, right? All these characters. And the song is obviously a big satire, but Paulo Coelho was a very serious guy. And that's how this song came to be, according to Paulo in an interview to the newspaper O Globo. The first version of Al Capone was a long thread about the outlaw, society, etc. And he said that 
that was not it. So I asked, what do you want? Hey, Al Capone, get it together? And he said, yeah, that's right. I thought it was awful. But then I wrote all the lyrics in that way. He would never tell you the lyrics were crap, though. For him, songwriting is not poetry. Songwriting is just songwriting. And I need it to free my mind from that idea. So that was Ali Murphy, by the way. Thank you, Ali, for reading it. And this song obviously finishes with this chorus saying, Eu sou astrologo, meaning like, I am an astrologist and you need to believe in me. So this song here, as you can hear, there's more like a soul funk influence kind of a vibe. There is no album credits for particular songs, and I know this song here was arranged by José Roberto Bertrami, the keyboard player for the band Azimuth. Speculating here, the other members of Azimuth was also playing the song. was clearly a guy with many different references, right? Before putting out his first album, for many years he worked as a producer at the CBS. He was behind many albums there, including famous albums like the one by Trio Ternura. And it's funny because many people say that during his time as a producer at CBS, he had a completely different appearance. Suit and tie, thick glasses, gel on his hair, and then he became more like an Elvis Presley impersonator, right? With leather jacket and whatnot. Until this finally persona for this album here, a long-haired, beard, bare-chested hippie. And many, many different times, Raul Seixas always said that he was not only a singer-songwriter, but in fact an actor pretending to be a singer-songwriter. So he had many, many, many different outputs out there. So this record here was released in July of 1973, more or less about the same time of Secos e Molhados, so it was a good time for rock and roll fans in Brazil. And this is the biggest hit of the album, Metamorfose Ambulante. It became like a top five at the end of the Brazilian top charts. <laughs> I'd rather be in a constant metamorphosis than having the same old opinion about everything. It is a song about one changing his opinion. And these records here in Hausatius, they are so iconic. So if you were a rock band in Brazil, for instance, playing in a pub, 
odds are pretty good that you're going to hear someone shouting at some point. Toca Raul, meaning play Raul. It's kind of the Brazilian equivalent of free birds. And for the good and the bad, for the last five decades, Raul Seixas influenced and still does a generation of rock musicians in Brazil. This particular song on the background also became very iconic scene from the movie City of God. Uh, one of the characters, Bené, the cool drug dealer in the movie, decides to be like a playboy, right? So he dyes his hair blonde, buy a bunch of designer clothing, and eventually quit the game. So this is the song that they play in the background of that whole transformation, and there's not a better song to show this metamorphosis. <laughs> Very, very, very symbolic. So even years later, and the album finishes with the most successful song on the album. In fact, it's called Ouro de Tolo. Eu devia estar contente porque eu tenho um emprego, sou dito cidadão respeitável e ganho 4 mil cruzeiros por mês. Eu devia agradecer. So here's Bob Dylan meeting Roberto Carlos. Right, Ouro de Tolo, the name of the song means the fool's gold. So this is how Seixas criticizing the materialistic, middle-class supporters of the regime in Brazil, always like chasing economic wealth through new cars and other goods. As I explained before, Brazil is going through this quote-unquote economic miracle, right? So people actually, in fact, had jobs and money at some point of dictatorship before everything went down to shit later in the 70s. In Raul Seixas' mind, the real gold was more like a collective society. So he even uses his own personal life here in the lyrics when he says, I should just be happy and satisfied because now I live in Ipanema after two years of barely having anything to eat here in the wonderful city. Está alegre e satisfeito por morar em Ipanema Depois de ter passado fome por dois anos aqui Na cidade maravilhosa Is obviously a big rip-off of the Bob Dylan style, right? He even sings faster than the arrangements are able to capture so just like long long lyrics just listing all these things and the orchestral arrangements here were conducted by maestro miguel cidras very famous in brazil in the 1970s and obviously there's more like a roberto carlos feeling <laughs> So Raul was kind of like blending the cool 
and the cheesy at the same time. This song even was released before the album as a single and so an enormity amount of records, more than a hundred thousand copies, even leading Hausatius to do a flash mob in the streets of Rio de Janeiro with his guitar and a lot of people started following uh, Forrest Gump style and obviously made people curious about the release of the album per se. It's really, really, really a Brazilian classic, very long lyrics that I could recite to you every single sentence. And for Raul Seixas, that was just the starting point, actually. His second album, after he came back from his exile in the States, was released in 74, and that one sold more than 600,000 records. But that, it is a different story. So we're gonna finish it up, Brazuca sounds off the day, with another record very important for Brazilian rock and roll scene in the 1970s. So this is the third album of Novos Baianos, and in my particular opinion, is as interesting as their second and more famous album, Acabou Chorari, that I made an entire episode about it. It is Brazuca Sounds number 34, if you wanna check it out. Uh, especially the side A of the LP here is almost a continuation of Acabou Chorari, uh, this fusion of samba and rock and roll, like the opening song here, Sorrir e Cantar Como Bahia, acoustic guitar, soft percussion, this charming vocal of Baby Consuelo, the lead singer. Sorrir e cantar como Bahia, e o menino solto como dia. The song here is about her, in fact, was a mother-to-be when they were recording the record. So it is a song about women and that they can be a baby and have a baby and they can smile and sing and do whatever they want to. Obviously also a play of words, considering her artistic name is also Baby. This other song here, it is actually probably the only big hit of the album. This is the song Samba da Minha Terra, meaning Samba from my homeland. It is a standard uh, music from Dorival Caymmi, legendary songwriter and singer from Bahia, where Novos Baianos will employ the kind of trade market rock samba song. It's super chill, as you notice in the background, and out of the blue.
so it became this very distorted rock and roll. This was the first time uh, Jorginho Gomes used his very famous electrified cavaquinho, full of distortions, right? Cavaquinho normally an acoustic instrument for carnival songs. But then again, out of the blue, another switch in the song. <laughs> And now it's full blow samba, right? With the percussion, the cuica, all the instruments, where then it leads to its climax, electrified samba again. Cannot be a more Brazilian version of rock and roll than that. Uh, and just like in Acabochorari, the previous record, this album here is also full, beautiful ballads, mezzo bossa, mezzo samba. Every song here performed by Moraes Moreira are just fabulous. Quando você chegar é mesmo que eu está vendo você sempre brincando de velho, me chamando de Pedro, me querendo um menino que viu de relance, talvez um sorriso em homenagem a Pedro. Quando você chegar é mesmo que eu está this is an obvious reference to João Gilberto, and like in the previous album, the band here kept living together as a community, right? In a cottage of sorts, just outside Rio, eight members, plus friends, plus family, the lead singer, Baby, and the guitarist, Pepeu Gomes, they already had a, a child, a baby at the time, so everything was not exactly a professional made-for-profit endeavor. It was more like a really a hippie experiment, uh, making art. Uh, the music producer and filmmaker uh, Solano Ribeiro filmed a documentary titled Novos Baianos Football Club for a German TV at the time. It's a very artisanal, really showing the band in their natural habitat, playing music and football or soccer for the American audience here. Uh, this documentary is entirely available on YouTube. It's great stuff. Just type it, Novos Baianos FC. Quando você chega é mesmo que eu está vendo você sempre brincando de velho me chamando de Pedro me querendo me Problem was the band was bouncing from label to label so also didn't help that right after Acabou Chorari was released a year before it was November of 72 so they signed with a different record label this one here Continental, same record label where Secos e Molhados was just dominating all the marketing, right? Uh, on June 73, the record was already out. Just so you understand, Acabou Chorari was still top 10 in sales. It was very confusing for the audience, even if the music on this record here is absolutely great. And if the name of the album is Novos Baianos FC, they were, in fact, very interested in football, right, or soccer.
the name the album that, it was because they were really a football team uh, that they had while living in their community house. They would take like the pickup games very, very seriously with uniforms and all that. Many actual professional players used to show up from Rio de Janeiro teams, Flamengo, Fluminense, Botafogo. But this football thing, it was so intense that they even refused to play on Sundays to prioritize watching football on TV or in the stadiums. Uh, it seems like once they even did not accept an offer to play for Fantastico, like I mentioned before, our version of Saturday Night Live, which was like massive popular and was on the Sunday night though. But Novos Baianos without a doubt made rock and roll sound authentically Brazilian, adding samba, bossa nova, frevo, super creative and innovative even at the time. Uh, Pepeu Gomes, the main guitar player, sometimes used to use an instrument that was half electric guitar and half mandolin that he built himself. Interesting harmony, interesting tunes and melodies coming from that instrument, and commercially speaking, was not even close to the success of Raul Seixas or especially Secos e Molhados in that year of 1973. But the legacy of Novos Baianos in Brazil or even abroad is probably bigger, right? More people outside Brazil know the discography of Novos Baianos compared to those other two bands. Right after this record here, Moraes Moreira will leave the band and then the bass player until they finally split when Pepeu Gomes had a very mainstream successful career as a solo guitarist. Same for Baby, the lead singer. She had like astronomical success in the 1980s as a singer as well. And with all that being said, this is the end of Brazuca Sounds. Obviously, follow me on Instagram as well because I posted there all the album covers that I talked about, many tidbits that I ended up not mentioned on the show. If you guys are nice enough to rate this show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, happy holidays, everybody. This was Brazuca Sounds with Leandro Vignoli. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Yeah.